You know, one of the funny things about these podcasts is I have no idea how to start them. So here goes. I'm Dr. Curtis Merritt, and this is the Lean Weight Loss Podcast. Um, This is a fairly special three-part series. We are going to do a three-part getting started series. Um, Basically, each podcast is designed for each week of a three-week startup. So if you are looking to get started in a weight loss journey, if you are looking to kind of set some fitness goals, set some health goals, this is a great uh, companion. You may want to return to it because some of the information here, I know I never received in my medical training, um, or if I did, it's long since flushed. Um, But there's some pretty neat concepts throughout this that I think will be helpful in getting you some better results and some more consistency. So before we do that, we need to take uh, a quick trip, and we need to take a quick trip to the Mississippi River. And what I want you to do in your mind, I want you to picture a boat out there on the Mississippi River. And the river's full, but it's not, you know, at flood stage, it's not white water. But the water is moving very slowly down towards the coast. And you're out there in a boat. And you look down at the water, and the water really doesn't appear to be moving at all. But, you know, relative to the land, you're continuing to drift downward. And that's often how our weight loss journey is. It's sort of like, um, you know, when we take our eye off the ball if we stop paying attention for a little while that's when calories that's when our cardiovascular fitness goes down that's when calories accumulate that's where we start gaining weight so i have a little philosophy on this if you're going to try to go back up river if you're going to try to get to some health goals if you're going to try to shed some unwanted pounds how do you want to do it because if you think about it if you started rowing or got out and swam you could sustain that for some time. And that's sort of like what self-motivation is. You know, it's this um, this propeller, this engine that moves us up, uh, you know, closer to our goals, but it's really hard to sustain in and of itself. So what I've kind of settled on is this idea that if we're going to go up river, I'd rather not just have a motor, but maybe multiple motors. Maybe not just two, but maybe 10 or 15 So each piece of the weight loss journey, each part that you begin to understand, each little habit, each little trick that you get to incorporate, you're adding that much more leverage towards success. So I know at least in my boat, if I'm heading towards a goal, I want to sort of overwhelm the possibility of of succeeding, Um, sort of disproportionately loading the scale towards my success. And that's what I want you to do. And that's what I want... Um, you know, to talk about in today's podcast is how do we do that? How do we get multiple motors on our boat? So uh, if you haven't listened before, um, I know we just launched it not too long ago, uh, but it's out there already, the top 10 habits for um, evidence-based habits for weight loss. Uh, it's a great podcast just to run down a couple of simple tricks. Each one is sort of its own motor. Each one is um, a piece to, that's good to incorporate into your regimen. Um But before I get started um, in a journey, it's really helpful to know, and it's helpful for you to know, what the odds are. Because if the odds are stacked against me, number one, it's going to be a lot harder. Number two, I'd rather know ahead of time. I'd rather know that something is working actively against me. Because you know what? Then I can make some, um, some changes. Then I can make some accountability or... Uh, have something in my regiment to counteract those things. 
Okay, so that is the purpose of today's podcast. So I'm glad you joined me. Uh, it's going to be a good one. Um, I have a friend I want you to meet, and he's going to help us throughout this talk. And But first, we, we need to take another trip. We need to get off the river. We need to actually go back in time a little bit. We need to go back to sort of the primordial man. And in a early deciduous forest, you know, with the birds chirping and bugs the size of your car, um, this primordial man is trying to survive. And, you know, for the sake of argument, let's call him Kevin. So Kevin is one of the reasons that uh, you have trouble losing weight. So if you want to place blame, he is a perfect target. He's already dead. He will not feel the pain. Blame it on Kevin. So Kevin's job, Kevin's biology has wired him to survive. And it's not an easy environment to survive in. Food comes, food goes. It's not always plentiful. There are things that are trying to eat you. There are times of where you need more alertness. There are times when you need to rest. And so Kevin's biology has sort of wired him to give him his best chance of survival. The problem is Kevin is going to pass those traits down, down, down the line to you and to me. And those same traits in an environment where food is not scarce, where food is plentiful, make it that much harder to maintain a healthy lifestyle and healthy physiology. And so we're going to go into that a little bit today and kind of dive into a few, and there are many, but just a few of the hormones that are sort of actively working against you. And in this first week, that's one of our big goals, is to understand what's the biology doing and what can we do to sort of circumvent it. Is there anything we can do uh, to try and get around it? Before we do that, I want one other point as we go through, some a lens I sort of want you to hold on to, and that is this. You are the captain of your habits, Right? No one gets to determine what your habits are, all right? Now, you have external stimuli, you know, what time the sun gets up, you know, when you're expected at work. But for the most part, the habits of your life are in your control. Now, some of those habits are good. Some of those habits are bad. Where you are at in the workplace right now may be the result of years and years of good habits. may not be. Your eating habits, for one, if you're have it in your mind to be on a weight loss journey. You may have had issues with your thyroid. You may have had issues with surgeries or being down and out or um, had increased stress and cortisol and all these things that have worked against you. But the habits, the things we can change, you are the captain of those habits. Okay, so that mindset matters as we go forward, as we explore the hormones and what Kevin's up to and all these things. I want you to remember, you are in charge of your habits. And you can change your habits, all right? And that's going to play a big role in your success is, is believing that fact that habit, outside of any other um, influence, is something that is changeable, all right? Now, there are things that work against them, and we'll talk about those, but your habits still, still reside. They still are maintained in between your ears and still are part of your control, so... If you have that in mind, um, let's think about Kevin for a minute. Kevin's out there. He's in, his, in the woods. And he's hiding from some creature that's trying to eat him. And he stumbles upon um, a recently killed and left buffalo or whatever animal you want. Something big and meaty and fatty, and it's there. And no one's around. 
And Kevin, who hasn't eaten in a couple weeks, Kevin is excited. I don't know what sound he makes, but he makes his excited sound and begins to eat. What is happening in that process? All right, so Kevin now has food available. And not only that, there's food, but it's also high-fat content food. And again, this is my theory on this. This is sort of how I picture the hormones playing together to increase survival. But um, I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. But this at least helps me understand, as I go through the hormones, what's going on. Like, why would these hormones do these things? All right, so this is my best, uh, best summation of what the evidence points to. So Kevin has this nice big fatty meal, and he just starts to eat and eat and eat. One of your hormones, what I call the ghrelin gremlin, this hormone ghrelin, its job is to increase hunger. Its job is to, in the presence of fat, increase hunger drive. Okay, so if you've ever been to McDonald's and eaten a big fatty meal or gone to a restaurant and eaten a big steak, and then a couple hours later, mysteriously, after you know you've had way too many calories, you find yourself hungry again, that may well be the action of ghrelin. Ghrelin actually blunts some of the um, afferent nerves to the stomach that tell your body your stomach is distended and full, right? And so as it does that, you don't perceive as well how much fullness your stomach has and as a result you can continue to feel like you need to eat the eat drive remains all right so that's one of the things that does ghrelin this hunger hormone is increased in the presence of fat all right but ghrelin ghrelin's kept in check by something else ghrelin has a sort of counter hormone or again this is just one of the many but um, this other hormone leptin so leptin is satiety Leptin is, I'm full. Leptin is, I don't want any more. I'm good. You know, cut me off. I'm, I'm fine now. But in the presence of a high-fat diet, where the brain is repeatedly given a reward, ghrelin plays a big role in reward of food systems as well, and food reward perception and memory. In the presence of that, leptin is kind of sitting in a corner in Kevin's brain wondering what it should do. So what, it, what happens? It rises. Leptin level rises to tell Kevin, you know what, I'm full. But ghrelin's pretty potent. And ghrelin keeps driving along. It's sort of this unchecked hormone. And so ghrelin levels continue to rise and leptin levels continue to rise, which just seems a little counterintuitive. Okay, hunger and satiety are rising. Well, that's because satiety is not being picked up. Ghrelin seems to be overwhelming this. So... What develops from that is what's called leptin resistance. And if you know anything about little proteins in the body, when a hormone or a stimulus is present over and over and over, the body kind of sucks down the receptor back into the cell. I know it does it for a number of other systems. I haven't yet seen the evidence that that happens with leptin, but it would make sense that that would sort of be part of the mechanism of leptin resistance, that the receptor itself doesn't transmit as well because the transmission is not going anywhere. It's not, it's not uh, coming to the full effect of what a hormone should do. It's not translating into RNA and then you know out from that protein, which should then cause an effect downstream. We're not, we're not seeing that happen. So leptin resistance develops in this context of ghrelin. And if you think about um, Kevin, his ghrelin's off the chart right now. 
let's say he's found a place where there's not just one of these events, but it's persistent. Persistently, high fat is available in his diet. Ghrelin stays on, and leptin becomes resistant. And as a result, we don't perceive fullness. We don't perceive that we are... Um, we've had enough calorie intake. Now, fast forward a couple thousand years, and we're in America, and we have the abundance of high-fat, high-calorie meals. And yet, we say we're hungry all the time, and yet we say we're not full when we can eat two hours later. Why? Is that a, is that a character flaw? No. There are some neurohormonal issues that are causing this sort of thing to be in effect. Okay? So that's ghrelin, and that is leptin. All right, now let's take um, Kevin for a minute. All right, all of a sudden, food is not as common. All of a sudden, the calories available to Kevin have gone down. What happens in his body as a result of that? What should happen that should propagate survival, give him his, you know, his best chance of survival? All right, let's think about that. So when Kevin has a decreased calorie load, and he's having to expend more energy, his body actually turns down metabolism. Sort of like uh, the idle of, a, of your car or truck. You know, it turns down what the burn is on any given moment. Even though he's exerting more effort, even though he's exerting um, increased energy burn, like as far as the calories he's burning, when you take that stimulus away, when you take away his effort, his body is dropping its energy expenditure on any given moment. So evidence actually points to this. That there's about a 30% or up to a 30% drop in energy expenditure when we restrict calories and increase activity. Well, let's think about that. What is a diet? What is an exercise plan but restricting calories and increasing effort? So you can see right off the bat, we have two really potent things working against us. We have ghrelin, this hunger hormone, driving reward, driving hunger, and leptin, which is turned off, which is not uh, giving us satiety, which is not allowing us to sort of um, experience fullness. We have an energy expenditure that has dropped. We're not burning as much when we do try to... Um, um, you know, go on a, a new health plan or new diet or new exercise regimen. So we exit the high fat state of, of high ghrelin reward system. And guess what? We're hungry all the time. Like we're just about, what was it about two or three days after you start a diet? You just feel like that appetite kicks in. Okay. That's why. Like it's not just your own um, sort of self-efficacy weakness. You know, you're not just that you can't do it. You have some pretty specific neural, hormonal, chemical interactions that are working against you. So that's part, at least in part, why it's so hard. All right, let's um, let's fast forward or stay back in the the, the future time here. Right now, let's stay in the present and let's look at. What uh, what we experience when we eat. All right, so we got a functional MRI. We can't throw Kevin in a functional MRI, but we can throw us in one. In the functional MRI, in the reward centers of the brain, there's actually an interperson difference. All right, certain people which are prone to be obese, certain people have a sort of a blunted reward system, and what that means is it just doesn't light up as well with a stimulus, and so. 
people that, um, if you ever meet them, uh, the ones that light up quick, they're the people that can eat like a bite of cheesecake. And they're like, oh man, that was amazing. And I'm done. And then there are people who are like, I ate the whole thing and two more and I still don't feel like I'm done. I still don't feel like I've had that reward neurochemical fire yet. Okay, so functionally on the MRI, there's a difference in the um, expression or the firing of our neurons. So again, this is another thing that can work against people to where when they eat, they don't actually perceive reward as strongly as other people who can eat small meals, small portions, and yet feel that same reward. So another one. But you know, for the most part, uh, I don't know if that makes sense in terms of the evolution of the matter, um, because those that would have early satiety, um, you know, early fullness, early I'm, I'm done, I don't know if that would necessarily be a benefit, but that is something we have learned over the years as we do functional MRIs uh, on people is that there are differences in the reward system. All right, so back to Kevin. We're going to Go back into the past, hop into the DeLorean, jump back to the uh, past here again. There's another hormone that's working against us in our current age. All right. So picture Kevin. He's out there in the woods. And you know what? All that meat's gone. And he looks around and he finds, uh, let's say, a blackberry bush. And that blackberry bush has some calories to it. And you know what? It's lean times. Kevin, Kevin's pretty excited he found this bush. But you know what? There's just one. He looks around. He doesn't see any. And his brain senses that he's had a little bit of food now. He's like, okay, I need to go and find some more. That's what happens. Mental alertness kicks on. He starts having an increase in his olfactory senses. He, his appetite increases. His, um, motor, his sort of motor function increases to where, you know what, he's going to go search around. So as Kevin searches around, you know what, the effort that he makes starts paying off. He starts finding more blackberries. Looking around, there's another one. He goes and gets that one. As time progresses and as we fast forward into the future, orexin, which is this hormone associated with foraging behavior, orexin may be some of the reasons why it's so hard, especially late at night when you find yourself staring at the open fridge or in the pantry just looking around and you take a bite of something and it may be plenty of calories for what you're needing, but yet you still are looking, you're still looking, still looking, and you keep trying this and that and a bite of this and some chocolate and some ice cream and some chips and da-da-da-da-da. And so over time, you end up taking a lot more calories in. And you wonder, why do I get so antsy? Why do I get so hungry um, at you know these random times? And here's the answer. Orexin. It's a neurochemical hormone that, we were tr- uh, that Kevin um, needed back in the primordial earth, back in... You know, as we were, you know, coming to be the complex creatures that we were. Orexin helps increase the chance of survival. And it helps with foraging behavior, helps people um, find ways of finding food. And so it's protective. It's meant to be there. But it's kind of awful in our day and age. You know, we're at a point where we don't necessarily need those foraging behaviors because food is way more abundant than it was before. So it ends up being another contributing card to the sort of complex problem that is obesity. So is there an antidote to those? I wanted to just cover those three or four right there, but is there something 
that we can do about all that? And first of all, the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. And the biggest first part is understanding that there's something going on. All right? There's a big difference when the problem is me and when there's a problem that I can sort of focus on. Right? If it's inside, my insides are kind of tugged and pulled by all the different emotions and stresses and, and whatnot, and it can be just a big foggy, murky picture. But if I start f- focusing on what I can identify, okay, I'm sa- standing in front of the fridge. I just ate two hours ago, and yet I'm looking for another thing. I'm foraging, right? Or ghrelin. Ghrelin's activated because I'm standing in front of the fridge ready to eat an entire new meal, uh, having just ate one. Why? Because hunger hormone is there. And it's asking and trying to drive me towards having a uh, another you know another round of a high fat high caloric food, all right? Maybe because my leptin is not working as it should be because my leptin resistance is present and I'm not experiencing satiety as much. So number one, realize that something is going on, something is working against you, and that's the first step. Realizing that you actually are in a river and this river is flowing downstream and you're trying to go upstream and things are actively working against you. All right. Number two, what do we do about ghrelin? Well, here's the interesting thing. You can actually by your behavior and by what you eat, there's some effect we can conjure onto ghrelin and onto hunger and onto appetite. And that's pretty cool because most of the time it's not actually very hard so if you uh, listen to the original podcast of 10 evidence-based uh, weight loss habits, you'll hear we talk about the half-plate rule. So by interjecting a staggered eating regimen, we can actually reduce, there's some evidence that we can actually reduce uh, hunger and appetite. And it makes sense if we initiate our meal and engage the half-plate rule. And the half-plate rule is just eat half your plate, whatever you have, and then wait 15 minutes. And if after you're done, you know, 15 minutes gets up and you're still kind of hungry, okay, continue to eat until you're full. But by injecting that small amount of time, we begin to master that ghrelin response. We begin to allow it time to go down. And we allow time for leptin to rise. Over time, that habit of eating small portions and allowing some time to go by to give your body a chance to experience satiety, we're actually manipulating those hormones, right? And we're doing it by behavior. And as a result, we don't have to do it by drugs. We're, we're just altering our behavior to engage in a better neurohormonal chemical cascade. So that's pretty cool. Uh, just by doing the half plate rule, uh, or some derivative of it, small portions, we can cause an effect which can actually counteract these things that are working against us. That becomes one motor moving us upstream. All right? Let's go to number two. What we eat can actually affect hunger and satiety. All right? So ideally, if we're experiencing, if we're overweight, obese, we want to decrease hunger, decrease appetite, and increase our sense of fullness. If only there is a substance readily available that has been shown to be helpful for that. And there is. Protein. All right, so you heard your mom and you know, I'm sure your spouse probably telling you, oh, you need some protein in your diet. There's actually some evidence to that. So here's the deal. 
when we inject a protein load um, in a meal, it actually has a dose-dependent effect on our fullness. So what they did, um, they took protein and gave it in small portions, medium portions, larger portions, and hunger and satiety changed based on how much protein they got. So what I call it, uh, at least kind of how I approach it, is when you think, there's sort of two instances. Um, Number one, when you feel like you're just craving something, inject a protein kill shot, right? So if, you, if you're if you sitting there at the fridge, grab some Chobani, grab, grab some chicken tenders, grab something that's a higher protein, and if you can get something that's animal-based, uh, okay. If you can get something that's plant-based, all the better. In fact, there's a recent study in Lancet that plant-based is definitely the way to go, uh, but everything in moderation, not trying to get too crazy here, trying to make something that's functional for people. Inject some protein um, into your diet at that moment. Um, you know, chicken breast, um, low-fat Greek yogurt, um, those sort of things where it's not high fat and high salt um, sort of injects um, satiety and sort of kills and curbs hunger. It can be very useful. Add that to your toolbox. All right, you got the half-plate rule. You got the protein. It's very helpful um, to help curb um, those appetites. So the other thing I tell you is if you know that when you get home, uh, you are just ravenously hungry, go ahead and give yourself a prophylactic shot. You know, go ahead and put the vaccine for hunger, uh, in the bloodstream already. All right. So while everything is relative to our daily caloric intake, if you know that at a certain time behaviorally, you have a habit of just eating a bunch of junk, an hour or so before, go ahead and give yourself a, a dose of protein again, right? So take 10 to 20 grams of protein and just go ahead and try to curb that appetite before it happens. Because again, protein's been shown to help reduce those cravings. So it's not all hopeless as far as you know what works against you. There are some things we can actively do um, number one, of course, is just perception, realizing that something is working inside of us, that something is driving us to do these things. And as a result, we can start resisting. We can start changing our behavior. We can start changing our habits to accommodate these changes. So in your first week, if you're just starting out on a weight loss journey, in your first week, remember, it's it's trying to get that boat upriver, and the current is working against you. There are things that are actively involved and trying to keep you at steady state. Because again, Kevin survives if he stays at steady state. If he can maintain his body mass, if he can maintain his muscles, if he can maintain his fat, he will likely live longer than he would otherwise. Because again, feast and famine um, as we are sort of coming to be the complex creatures that um, that we are today, had to figure out a way to survive those things. So I hope this is helpful. Um, next week, we are going to talk about actual calories, that dreaded C word, and what to do about our caloric intake, how to sort of temporize it, how to make it something that's doable for us. Um, we t- uh, three would talk about exercise, how to get started on a healthy exercise regimen. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, um, feel free to reach out to us. Um, be fantastic to hear from you. But I hope this is helpful in getting you in that first couple steps of 
uh, your weight loss journey. If you haven't already, do turn back and listen to the uh, 10 Evidence-Based Habits for Weight Loss, uh, which is also on SoundCloud. We're working to get it on iTunes, but iTunes is being funny right now, so we'll have to get it working some other time. But anyway, again, I'm Dr. Curtis Merritt. I'm so glad that you joined us, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.